Father, we thank you for your word today. We just thank you. One word from you can totally and utterly transform our lives. Thank you. You've already spoken to us prophetically today. We just ask you, Holy Spirit, take the word that you wrote. Would you just release an anointing in this place now so we can understand it? Would you reveal it to us? Would you do something dramatic and transformative in our time together? We ask you in Jesus' name and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Okay. In the time I've got this morning, I want to contrast two people with you. Um, I've been struck, uh, probably because of my age, I'm going to be 50 um, next week. Um, don't feel 50. Don't look 50. <laughs> don't feel 50. Um, and I don't know if it's got anything to do with that, but I was asking myself a question the other night. I was asking myself this question. What would I like to be written on my epitaph? The end of my life, on my tombstone, or the equivalent, you know, what would I like to be said about me? You know, what, and we, sh we, we can all think like this. In fact, this, this is good planning. If you think it towards the end of your life and think, what's the footprint you want to leave? What's the legacy you want to have left behind? What's the thing you want people to say about you? What's the impact you made on the planet for the kingdom? This is what goal setting is, really. You go to the end of your life and look at that, and then reverse, en reverse engineer everything down to today, and then start living today in light of who and what you want to become and the legacy that you want to leave. And I was drawn particularly to some Old Testament characters. Those of you that have known me for any time, I've often uh, referred to David in the Old Testament a lot because he is one of my favorite characters. And I was contrasting David and Saul for this reason. There were powerful statements made about both guys concerning how God viewed them. I won't take you there because of time, but listen to this. 1 Samuel chapter 15, this is what God said about Saul. I am grieved that I have made him, that Saul, king, because he has turned away from me and not carried out my instructions. What a thing to have God say about you. I'm actually grieved that I gave him a position and an anointing, Basically, this is the bottom line if you study the story out in 1 Samuel from about chapter 10 to 17 and on. But this is the reason God took his hand off his life and put it on David. It's, um, he just basically wouldn't do what God wanted him to do. And really, bottom line, that's what basic, authentic Christianity is. Once we get born again and Jesus becomes our Savior, he also becomes our Lord. And really, we make the decision to say, Lord, you're in charge. Jesus, take the wheel, but not the country version of it. Just, in reality, take, take the wheel. And that, that's basic living. But there was something that grieved God that he had to say of a man, I've, I, I'm, I'm sad, I've had to take my hand off him. Anyway, the other person in the Old Testament, who I want to contrast with these two characters today, is David. And it says this about David, and this is what I want us to shoot for. It says this in Acts chapter 13, uh, Paul, I believe, ta uh, talking about his life. It says this, after removing Saul, he's the guy he was grieved about, took his hand off him, he made David their king. And he testified, this is God, he testified concerning him, I have found David. Everyone say found. Because he was looking for something. He found David. It was things, qualities, attributes, and desires that he was looking for. And he found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. And this is what he says about him. He will do everything I want him to do. There's the difference. And verse 36, I'm sure you've heard this said, and this is what I'd like on my epitaph. For when David served God, not David, when Andrew served God, 
He says, when David served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. What a thing to have said about you. When you serve the purpose of God in your generation, it's time to be done. And you step into eternity or you fall asleep. But here's two characters, same God, same anointing, same purpose for the planet, same prophet functioning. Samuel always gets missed out in these stories. Samuel, it was a brilliant, significant transition character in the Old Testament. And he, he's in the middle of all this, and you get this, my hand comes off one person, but my hand is strong on another person because I was looking and I found something. And I think for all of us, we should have, a, and we do have in us, a desire to just do what God wants us to do on this planet. Listen, God wants you to have fun. God wants you to marry someone pretty and handsome. God wants you to raise kids. God wants you to bless your kids. God wants you successful in your business. God wants all those things for your life, and he wants to bless you, and there's no problem with all of that. But there is a purpose bigger than that. There's a kingdom purpose. There's, there's, there's gifts and talents and abilities and anointings that God puts in individuals that are not just for you to serve yourself. It's to serve the local church, the place where you're planted. And so when I ask this question about what do you want your footprint to be at the end of your life, it's not just to do with great dad, although that's huge. Wonderful husband, that's massive. But it's... This is the impact you had. Here's the taste you left in people's mouths. Here's the purpose that you served. And I want to stir you all fresh and again, because I guarantee you, if you've been walking with the Lord any length of time, you've had prophetic words and insights and little glimpses into the things God wants you to do in church life. But as you know, you guys are taught well, it's not just about church. It's about the kingdom of God on the planet. Your influence in the marketplace as doctors, as nurses, as politicians, as um, directors, as songwriters, as filmmakers, wherever you are, just extending the kingdom and making a difference. And I want to stir you all today to look at your life bigger and more purposeful than maybe you have for a while. And look to the end and think, what do I, what's my footprint? With what I've already seen, and I know we see through a glass dimly concerning prophetics, but with what I've already seen, what should the end of my life look like? And let's just reverse engineer backwards and start the day and move towards it. And at the beginning of all this, and I'll say a few things in the time I have, contrasting David and Saul, here was the first one and the big one. One guy wouldn't do what God wanted him to do, and the other guy would. He says, I found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, not just his own desires, who'll do everything that I want him to to do. So let me take you into some scriptures and just do a little bit of contrasting. To me, in my life, this might not be a big deal to you, but in my life, this is one of the ways God works with me. Beginnings are always important. We have a book of beginnings in the Bible, the book of Genesis, and I'm sure you already know this, but every major doctrine, theme, um, powerful concept that's outworked, filled out, and explained elsewhere in scripture all has its beginnings in seed form in the book of beginnings. So beginnings are always important. So I'm always looking at beginnings. The first time I go to a church, the first time I meet a person, the first time I have interaction with a business, eight times out of ten has significance in it for what our future relationship is going to be. First time I met Dad and Fee, our hearts leapt like a little deer prancing through the, through the ferns. <laughs> And I knew in the moment, I thought, here's a connection. 
He's English. That's okay. He'll get around that. But he's cheeky. And uh, he's, got a, he's got a passion and a boldness for God. We, we're going to be together for a long, long time. My wife felt the same thing about fee. Now, I'm not saying God has to work with you like that. That's just the way he works with me. And God establishes patterns with you in how he speaks to you in your life. I'm saying all that just to say maybe some of you should pay attention to beginnings. So when I read scripture, I always look for the beginnings of things. I think I've preached to you before about when Jesus first called his disciples. The beginning of a relationship with Jesus for James, John, and was it Peter? Peter, James, and John? The three of them was the miraculous catch of fish. That was the beginning encounter with Jesus. It's nothing to do with fish because they leave the fish and follow him. But what it is to do is you can go from nothing to net breaking, boat sinking, fruitfulness just by doing what I tell you to do in a moment. And Jesus stamped something on their foreheads or branded something in their spirits that I believe had fulfillment on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit's been poured out. Um, or a little while after, they're in the upper room, the Holy Spirit gets poured out. They go out on the streets and they go from 120 people locked up in a room to 3,000 added to their number that day. And I'm pretty sure this is me taking a bit of poetic license, I know. But as Peter lay on his bed that night, I bet he thought back to the beginning where Jesus put something in him. You can go from not catching fish, being locked up in a boat or in an upper room, then all of a sudden when I move, it's net breaking, boat sinking, fruitfulness, and it was always to do with people, not to do with fish. So saying I say beginnings are important. So I'm going to take you to some beginning um, activities in the life of David and Saul that help us see why, in the end, God takes his hand off Saul and releases even more into the life of David. Come with me, please, into a few scriptures. Come with me, if you would, to 1 Samuel chapter 10. And we're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel 10, 1 Samuel chapter 16. Everybody good? Can you all understand me? Silence on both. Okay, we're going to keep rolling anyway. 1 Samuel chapter 10. How many of you would like me to slow down? I do get excited and I am Welsh and I do talk fast. But I think I've said this before you. You can always tell when you travel um, if, if, people, if people can understand me or not. To me, it's a great indication of whether you were used to hearing the voice of God. Because spiritual people have no problem with the Welsh accent because God speaks with a Welsh accent. See, it always discerns and splits the room into those that walk closely with the Lord and those maybe don't pay as much attention as they should. Just a thought. You're welcome for that one. That was free. 1 Samuel chapter 10. All right. Bear with me for a few moments where I contrast these two things and I'll explain them. Beginnings, okay? Now, beginnings here, I want to show you where, how and where and the significance of how these two kings got their anointing. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 1, says this. Then Samuel took a flask. Can everybody say flask? Flask of oil, or olive oil, and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? Just real quick, let me show you, and I'll come back to it in a couple of minutes. Um, this Samuel the prophet takes a flask or a flask, whichever you prefer, of olive oil and pours it on the head of Saul. 
who's the head and shoulders guy. He's the people's choice. It's a flask that gets poured with oil. That's the beginning of his anointing, which is symbolic of the Holy Spirit coming on him. Hold that thought a moment. We'll come back. Come with me to 1 Samuel chapter 16, because again, we contrast in David and Saul. 1 Samuel chapter 16. This, is, this point today is going to bless some of you. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1 and 13. Now, what's transpired in between is God's taken his hand off Saul and is grieved that he made him king. And now he's looking for someone he can put his hand on who'll do everything that he wants him to do. And he finds David. David, where did I say to go? 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I've rejected him as king over Israel? Fill you a horn. Everyone say horn. 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 Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. Now, there's already something significant happening here. It's like we're done with the flask. Now I'm going to use a horn. I'll come back to what that is in a moment. Um, chapter 16, sorry, still chapter 16, verse 13. says, so Samuel took the horn, everyone say horn, of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David and Samuel went to Ramah. Right, let me pull all this together. And also, in between 1 Samuel chapter 16 and 1 Cham 16 verse 1 and verse 13 is a process I'll explain to you in a moment where um, God pulls out someone very unique and very individual. Here's what I'm going to say with the difference between flasks and horns. And it's symbolic of how these two guys functioned. It says this of Saul, he was the people's choice. He was a head and shoulder guy. I mean, he looked the part. If you had to write down what a king should look like externally, you probably would have written down someone like The Rock. If you don't like The Rock, Vin Diesel. That, that's what they say, and he's a head and shoulders guy. Um, probably Dutch, because they're always big creatures, aren't they? They're Dutch. I live in Michigan, full of tall blonde men. And uh, like the Nephilim still roaming the earth, the Dutch. Don't tell anyone in Michigan. I said that, I've got to go back. But I want you to get an image here. It's the head and shoulders guy, the natural choice, the person that looks the part. Now, David, it's interesting, in the verses in chapter 16 from verse 1 to verse 13, um, when David gets anointed with a flask, which we'll come back to, this is what happens. The prophet is sent to find another king at Jesse's house. So Jesse gets all his brothers, that, uh, sorry, all his sons, to come and stand before the prophet. Now, the prophet, Samuel, is supposed to pick the next king. And I think there were seven or eight brothers got, got pulled in. You all know the story, right? And it's interesting. As the prophet, Samuel, looks at the first guy, it says this. When he looked at the first brother, who was called Eliab, I believe, he says, surely the Lord's anointed stands before me. Because again, he looked the part. And he's thinking through an old lens of what the previous guy was. He's flask thinking, which, I'll, again, I'll explain in a moment. That's not him. And then he goes on all the brothers, all the sons, and it's not one of them. So that, thank God he's a good prophet. He says to, he, he say, he says to Jesse, that he's not here. You must have another son. And um, this is the interesting thing, man's choice. Je Jesse, 
says, well, there's David, but he, he's up on the hillside with the sheep. How would you feel if your dad didn't even bring you into consideration for a grand purpose? Left you out because he didn't think enough of you. This crotchety old prophet says, we ain't sitting down until you get him in. Bring him in. And so David gets brought in. And hang on, let me backtrack one minute. It's important. I've just hit something here, I think. When Samuel stood in front of Eliab, the first one, and said, Surely the Lord's anointed stands before me. This is what God said to him. Do not consider his appearance or his outward look, because man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. Now, in life, both are important. You want to catch people? Outside appearance is important. But more important are heart issues. He didn't look the part, so he wasn't considered. God makes a statement, I'm after the heart. Because remember he said, I looked for David, son of Jesse. Now jump forward to David coming into the room in front of the prophet. As he walks in, God says, basically, this, this is him. He stands before me. And David, who hasn't come on to the public scene yet, we'll get there in a moment, was probably about 17 years of age. When he dealt with Goliath, he was about 17 and a half. So he's probably somewhere around 17, ready, handsome, probably Welsh, just so you know. Um, he was passionate, wasn't he? There's no way he could have been English. And, um, and God anoints him. But listen, he pours a horn of oil. Before I get into horn and flask, this, this is fascinating to me. I want to encourage you with this. What God looked for was not what man was expecting. David wasn't even considered by his dad and his family to be included and even given an option. So he could have been an also-ran. That wasn't even offered to him. And the wonderful thing about God is this. When other people see shepherd boys... God has an ability to see a king. And God was looking for someone. And even through his instrument, the prophet, who's going to do the anointing, there was no settling because th this, this isn't enough. Here's a great key in leadership. Sometimes we look in the wrong places. If you're a flask-thinking leader, sometimes what you've got is in your house or just outside your house. It's just up on the hillside taking care of menial tasks. God loves this stuff. God can anoint a shepherd boy that nobody else would consider because he sees kingship in him. And I guarantee there's many of you right now sitting in environments of life, sitting in a job you don't like, maybe serving in an area of church you don't like, maybe you know, involved in just the faithful seasons of life where things get proven in you and other people don't notice you. Dan walks past you on a Sunday morning. Worse than that, Reese Evans walks past you on a Sunday morning. I know, it's just for me. And you just think, no, no one sees me. And I'm smelling a sheep. And I'm young. But God sees through all that stuff. In fact, God sets that stuff up. It wasn't the eight, seven or eight brothers that dealt with a Goliath. It was the guy that was ignored on a hillside with God proving him in the circumstance that he was in. 
So philosophy today, I want to encourage you, don't quit, don't give in, don't go thrown in the towel because you think people don't see you, circumstances keeping you down, and the job dictates your options. Shepherd, bo- shepherd people, shepherd boys were not considered high-ranking people in society. But then all of a sudden, boom, king. Anyway, let me bring you back to flask and oil, uh, flask and horn. Here's the thing. David was ready and handsome, and he got skilled on the mountain top, dealing with lions and bears and sheep. Saul looked apart. But the difference between the anointing is this. A flask is mass-produced. This is a flask. You can go to Costco and anywhere in the world, and you can buy this, and it looks exactly the same. That's a flask. Every Starbucks you go into, same cup, whether you buy the plastic ones or you buy the nice ones and take home, and Starbucks make more money off you. It's a, it's a flask. It's the same as everything else. It's predictable. It's, it's uh, mass-produced. And it doesn't have this organic, fresh, individualistic uniqueness about it. On the other hand, you take a horn, a horn that they used to use for anointing with oil. It was whatever animal it was taken from, whether it was taken from a ram or something else. A horn is individually unique to that animal. It's like a fingerprint or a snowdrop. Totally different, snowflake, totally different to anything else. And also, not only would it be different, it would grow on the animal in the environment that the animal was in. So the environment would hit rocks, fight, you know, get caught in wire or whatever, and that organic growth would shape what the horn looked like. And there's no coincidence these words are used. So after the flask, take the flask, it was a flask for a head and shoulders person, external appearance. God says, get a horn, and this time, when he's standing in the presence of David, he uses a horn to pour on somebody that nobody else even thought of including in the moment. And that says this to me. When God looks, and that's where we started, he found David. He doesn't look for people that fit the mold. He doesn't look for people that naturally are the head and shoulders people. He can use people like that, but that's not his main motivation, to pick what everybody else thinks he should pick and just put a standard, safe flask, same as we see everywhere else. Let's put that anointing on him. This is what God loves to do. He loves to take people that other people might not use, that are in unusual situations of life being schooled by the Spirit in the jobs that they're in. Dan and I and Thea and Ange and others here have been to Bible school. And Bible school is great, but you learn more in the school of life being instructed by the Holy Spirit than you do in a Bible school. How to pay bills, how to raise kids, how to work for a boss you can't stand. How to persevere, how to stand for righteousness, how not to compromise, how to get perseverance and endurance working in your life. These are character, heart qualities. But God wants people like David who are unique. Not flasked, just unique. What do you do? I look after sheep. And this is what he does with those people. He takes a unique horn because he has a unique anointing for you. Every believer, I believe, has a shape. 
Now, there's some things and some truths and some insights that are, you can apply to lots of people. You know, there's qualities that, that you see in people. There's gift mixes that you can identify in people. But I think most of us, if we're honest as leaders, we are flashed in our thinking. Evangelists need to look like this. Pastors need to look like this. Prophets need to look like this. You know, people that just turn up on a Sunday need to look like this. Whereas God doesn't think like that. God thinks, where's the guy that's peculiar? Where's the guy I've been hiding for a few years that nobody sees, but his heart is just towards me? And let me anoint him, because I've already gifted him and called him and given him ability and given him talents. Let's put an anointing on him that's from me, but matches how I've made him to be. So he's a prophet, but he's a new breed prophet, because he looks different for today's world than people did in yesterday's world. Let's, let's anoint an evangelist um, and give him something different. Let's anoint a pastor who's not seen. And this is a big one for me the last few years. God's been working me over on this. What is a, what is a pastor? What does he look like? Because we've all got flasked versions of what we think they are. And as I've looked at Scripture, I think that's got nothing to do with what shepherds do. Shepherds are some of the coolest gift mixes in the body of Christ. But they don't have to look the way they looked yesterday. And you don't have to get locked into church world to fulfill your destiny. Doctors, musicians, sculptors, politicians, filmmakers, whatever you are, God's made you a certain way and there's a unique particular anointing that's from a horn and is organic and is just for you. If you can find it, that's where you find your sweet spot in life, and that's where you sow into destiny, in the anointing. Not flasked, but just anointed with the horn oil that God's called you to be. You're not competing. There's no jealousy. You just catch the wind of the Spirit and find a beauty in fulfilling God's kingdom on the earth and what He's called you to do. Time is ticking. I, I did have some others, which I'll share with you another time. I'll close with this one thing. It's interesting to me that even when um, David and Saul were on the battleground with Goliath, one of the most famous stories in the Old Testament, is it's interesting to me that um, when David is going to go and deal with Saul, because Saul could have dealt with Goliath. You all know that, right? The head and shoulders guy who's hiding in a tent for 40 days and 40 nights as everybody's going through the motions. Saul could not break cycles off of his life. He's hiding in the baggage, which is exactly what he did on the day that they were looking to anoint him publicly before the people. David, on the other hand, comes down onto the battlefield with baggage, leaves his baggage with the baggage keeper and runs straight to the front line. Two very different um, contrasts again. But this interesting to me. Samuel, sorry, Saul, hears something in David's voice when he says, listen, I'll go and fight this giant. Nobody else here is taking care of this. I will take care of business. Saul heard something in his voice, something of faith. Who's this boy, this 17 and a half year old shepherd boy that is now going to come and deal with a situation that's going to set God's people free? So he brings him into his tent. And this is what Saul tries to do. And this is what flask leaders do. He tries to put his own armor and his own sword on David. Now remember, David is this organic boy. He's been wrestling bears and lions on the mountainside. And Saul tries to flask him with his own armor 
I don't know what was going through his head, whether he thought, well, if you're going to kill this guy, at least be wearing my armor when you do it. <laughs> Might look like me, or at least look the part. But it says this, and it's beautiful to me, and David says, I, 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 I'm not used to these. They're not familiar to me. You can't put a flask on me and expect me to do ministry this way. It's unusual. He said, I'll go with what I know. And you know the story. Here's the organic hall anointed kid. He takes a sling and he takes some stones and goes after Goliath. Here's two different things again. Saul is hiding in a tent. David runs to the front line. Even as he's walking towards Goliath and Goliath is taunting him, he then picks up speed and he says he ran to the front line, takes the stone, takes down Goliath, takes off his head. Here's the interesting thing. Once Goliath went down, and David never called David never called Goliath a giant. I don't know if you ever noticed this. He refers to him as an uncircumcised Philistine. Never called him a giant. What you say about things is very, very important. In fact, the reason these these people were in this problem was this: they come up every day and line up to do battle, and when they'd see Goliath, his size. When they, he, they'd hear what he was saying, the taunting, it would say this of God's people. They'd get gripped with fear. They would turn around and they would run away. Twice a day for 40 days. That's 80 times stuck in a cycle of living where they're not taking ground. Which is a ploy of an enemy. He's happy for you to go round and round in circles as long as you don't advance. Just go round and round. And even today, I believe there's people here stuck in cycles where you're just going round and round. Because of an enemy that will come and taunt you. When you look at the size of what it means to have to get out of this rut, and just going round and round. Here's how a cycle was broken that day that Saul wasn't dealing with. David came and went for the root cause, identified the root of this whole problem, refused to call him a giant, ran at him with what he knew, organic, took him down, and this is what happens in the story. Once Goliath went down, it wasn't just Goliath that was fixed. The whole environment shifted. The whole cyclical living shifted just because one 17-and-a-half-year-old boy under the anointing of God, with his horn anointing doing what God had called him to do, took down a giant. This is what happened. When the enemies saw that their champion had died, they got gripped with fear. And they started to run. Here's one thing I've noticed in life. I think I've been pastoring now for just over 30 years. When you help someone get a breakthrough in life and identify a root cause that causes cyclical living, it's fascinating to me that when that goes down and is dealt with, the domino effect it has into other areas of life that were enemies to your life and you thought, you know, I deal with one Goliath and there's going to be another one. It doesn't work like that. It's like, it's like the reverse of harvest time. You know, one goes down, and all of a sudden, the domino effect touches other areas of life. And because the root was dealt with, and the cycle is broke, it's like as if life frees up. The other thing that happened is when Goliath went down, all of God's people who'd been going through the motions and living in cyclical lifestyle, all of a sudden, because that problem had gone, they got a boost of energy, and they chased their enemies and killed them, killed them and looted all their plunder and what they owned. 
And it's fascinating. You read the end of the story and you think God's people have victory because of a 17 and a half year old horn anointed boy. And you read the start of the story where Saul is in charge and everyone's going through the motions, cyclical living, day after day after day, while he hides in a tent, not dealing with the situation. And the sad thing is, anyone in God's army, and Saul in particular, had the anointing and the ability to do exactly what David did. It's just they saw things totally differently. There's many other things I, I find between Dave and, David and uh, Saul, and at some point I might share them with you, but my time is gone and I want to be respectful of it. But today I just wanted to encourage you to find out in yourself what it is you want to do on this planet, beyond the obvious, and then get intentional about it. Like, this is my footprint, this is my legacy, this is how I want it to be, and start living today for it. Throw yourself into church life. And if you're in that stage where you're still on the hillside and no one's recognized you yet, it's the best place to be because God is looking for shepherd boys to call kings. And in the place you find yourself of influence, out in the world, the marketplace, extending God's kingdom, just make a mark and make a footprint. And don't disqualify yourself because you think you don't look a certain way. And don't let other people flask you and mold you into something that God has never designed you to be. God has grown you through knocks and all to be the character and the personality that you are. And he has a unique horn anointing to put on your life, which will cause you to do things under the anointing, like slay giants. And you can't wear other people's armor. You've just got to be yourself. And if you're in cycles, in fact, can we stand real quick? If you're in cycles in your life that are not helpful, just want you to lift your hands. There's no ministry time at the front. I'm going to pray one prayer of faith. You're stuck in a cycle. Here's how you break out of a cycle. You identify the root, the Goliath, and you go at it with everything God's given you to do. You take it down and you take off its head. And even now as I pray, I'm going to pray in a moment, I'm going to break the power of this thing off you. And if you'll just look it in the eyes and go after it yourself and not quit, you'll see huge breakthrough in your life. Lift your hands. Seriously, there's a moment here. The power of God is present for a breakthrough. Father, I just ask you to release that breaker anointing right now in this room. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Freedom that Christ set us free. So into bondages, strongholds, patterns of thinking, patterns of life, circumstance, forced behavior, whatever it is, in the name of Jesus right now, we stand in authority. We break the power of an enemy. We break the illusion that an enemy's created and we say, get your hands off the children of God. We break your power in the mighty name of Jesus and we command you to stop. Some of you might have instant breakthrough. Some of you, all you didn't do now is look that giant in the eye and say, this is over and this is done. And we're not going that way any longer and just started living and thinking differently. And I believe God's done something broke something off you today so you can live free and be who and what he's called you to be father i just ask you to touch your word this morning you always confirm your word with signs following regardless of the delivery of it it's your word always confirm your word with signs following so i ask 
on that basis that you'd release miracle into people's lives that you'd shake people off the hillside into the limelight because they are ready you'd shake poverty thinking and little old me thinking off people that they don't view themselves as the sun that's left out but it's the sun that's being prepared for a day of purpose and that you just break small inadequate thinking off people do some miracles Lord on the back of your word today that you'd break flask living and thinking and predictable legalistic activity off people and that you'd release that fresh horn unique anointing into this house